We're in a series called When You Pray. And the question really is, when do I pray? And we, this is our third week in the series. And I believe, I'm, I'm very proud of so many people from Bethel's Rock that have made a decision to even come on Wednesday night and pray together over our community. We have had large groups of people coming to pray on Wednesday night for our community, and I believe the reason we're seeing testimonies in all of the campuses of people getting saved and, and uh, uh, baptizing the Holy Spirit and healing, all of the things that are happening is because people are praying. Do you believe that? Are you believe that with me? So I, I want to I share this. Uh, if if, if, you're, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, when you pray, go into a room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's, in, who's on scene. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there, I'm going to just review very quickly. In, first, in the first week, we talked about how is there a wrong way to pray. And the, the reality is, yeah, there is wrong ways of praying. There, there is certainly a wrong way to pray. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to have taught the disciples this is how you should pray. Now, um, it, we can get carried away and then try to figure out this is exactly what you have to do. Um, but I can tell you from the beginning uh, when we pray, we should pray with faith that God can do what He's going to do, that God wants to do what He's going to do. And then last week we talked about if, if it's God's will, why should we pray? If it's God's will, He's just going to do it anyway, whatever He wants to do. And we talked about how God's will is not always done on earth, how we really release God's will on earth, His desire and will on earth. It's really released through us. And I'm going to carry on that thought a little bit more today. And that even though God never changes, He can change His mind. And, um, and we should ask Him in situations if if. If we want that to happen in a situation, say, God, can we do it this way? Jesus himself prayed that. God, is there another way? And there was no other way. And so he filled what, fulfilled what God was saying. I'm going to tell you a story of a, of a little boy who wanted a brother. So he asked his father, he said, Dad, I really want a brother. And his dad said, well, then pray about it. And so he prayed for a month and no brother, and he prayed for two months and no brother. So he prayed for three months and no brother. So he just got tired of praying and no brother. He just quit at three months. Well, about six months later, his dad woke him up and said, son, come with me. We got to go somewhere. They went to the hospital, went up into a room, saw his mother laying in a bed, and he says, I got to show you something. And he pulled back the curtain, and there was a little brother and then he pulled it back a little further, and there was a second brother. And he pulled it back a little further, and there was a third brother. And he says, see, aren't you glad that you prayed? You got three brothers. And he, he just looked up at Dad and said, Dad, aren't you glad I stopped after three months? <laughs> Which reminds me of another story having nothing to do with that. That at least has something to do with the messages. Today. But there was four fathers in a waiting room. And uh, the, they were sitting waiting for their uh, wives to give birth to their children. And the first, uh, the doctor came out and said, uh, Sir, I have your, your babies. You're, you're the father of twins. And he goes, That's incredible. I work for the Minnesota Twins. And not short, shortly after that, another doctor comes out with triplets. And, 
And the guy, he says, wow, I work for 3M. And he got three. Well, just shortly after that, another one came out with quadruplets. And he goes, that's amazing. I work for Four Points Hotels. He's like, wow. And immediately the fourth guy started crying and praying and calling out to God. And they watched him as he's just weeping before God on the floor. And they said, what's your problem? He goes, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> uh, stay the course. When you want to quit praying, stay the course. Turn to someone next to you and say, stay the course. You know, our experiences, our experiences, and not God's Word are often the resource we use to shape our beliefs about prayer. Our experiences are often the resource. Like, well, well, it didn't happen before, so it's not going to happen. And a lot of times, we think that God doesn't answer our prayer, and God is answering our prayers, just you can't see it or you don't know how he's doing it. It's why testifying is so important because when we testify, we're acknowledging that God answered a prayer and that God does answer prayer. And here's the reality. We should never allow our experiences to shape our theology, ever. God's word is a firm foundation and it's so, it's, it's so natural how we allow what happens to us to shape what we believe about God. My mom died, died of cancer, but that didn't change my theology about healing. I believe God heals. I go into it believing God's going to heal. It doesn't, I don't know, understand all the details of what happened in that situation. But I've seen God do a lot of miracles and heal a lot of people. And my theology rests in the fact that God chooses to heal. So the question I have is, does God have all power? Does God have all power? Yes. For him to release that power, do we need to pray? Is prayer bothering God enough to get him to release that power? See, I think in some cases we think prayer is just bothering God because of the persistent widow story. When in reality, when Jesus told that story, he wasn't saying God is this evil judge. He's saying if an evil judge would answer your request, if you came to him again and again and again, how much more would a good God that loves you would answer your request? Now, I think the, one of the lies we have to confront in all of us is that God is like holding out on you. It's the first lie the devil tells us. Like, you got to be better. You got to behave better. You got you to gotta pray better. You got to act better. You got to. And, and God isn't trying to keep promises from you. God is a promise making God, but so is Satan. Satan makes a whole lot of promises. Well, but we, we sing about how God's a promise making God. Well, la di da. A lot of people are promise-making. I don't care if you're promise-making. I care if you're a promise-keeper. God's a promise-keeping God. Every promise He gives to us, He keeps. Right? And we, we think we got to be performing monkeys in order for God. God, does, His heart is towards you. I'll talk about that a little later. When we pray, are we trying to talk God into it? Does God require a certain amount of prayer for certain situations? Do we earn answers to our prayers? I think those are all lies the enemy loves to put into our, our mind. 
Um, so the first point, though, I want to get at is God has deposited His power in us. God has deposited His power in us, in you and me. That, that uh, when, I, when I put that point down, and when I wrote it this week, I was thinking, if there was a point where I could just stop and say, we're going to think about that for a moment. Because what are we trying to do when we pray? We're trying to get God to release His power into His situation to do something, right? Now, the gospel isn't the power of God. The gospel is that Christ came and died on the cross and gave you life. That's the gospel. But He gave us power to declare that gospel, right? He gave us power to overcome evil. He gave us power to overcome the things in our life. But, but the reality is we try to get God to release His power to a situation, and God says, I'm not releasing my power to do something in that situation. I'm releasing my power and putting it in you. Now, I want to show you something. This is why he does it that way. God doesn't just, like, there is no connection from heaven to an evil situation on earth. There's a connection to heaven and to people from heaven. That when you gave your life to Christ, you became a citizen of heaven just passing through this earth. But you possess the power of God that is in heaven inside of you. Right? Do you believe that? We say that statement, greater is he that's in me, that's he that's in the world. And then we freak out by what's in the world. Nobody in here, of course. We freak out by the evil that's going on around us. Well, greater is he. Well, do we believe that? That's why I thought, Lord, before I can even move on from that point, we got to get to a foundation of just believing his power is in us. Right? That it resides in in me, that his Holy Spirit resides in me. Look at Luke 24, 49. It says, I'm going to send you what your, my father was, has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high, right? Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. At salvation, the Holy Spirit enters you, comes in you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, he rests on you, the Holy Spirit comes on you. You say, well, where was Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit? Right after baptized in water, the dove came and rested on him. He was baptized in the Spirit. Now, now I'm, but that's not the message today. I'm not talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's power that's in you and on you there, that rests all around you. It wraps you, okay? So we're, we're, it was deposited in us. Um, have you heard this statement, verse, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you can ask or think. Right? How many have heard that? Another way of doing it is now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Right? Now, what's interesting about that, if you, if you, I didn't do it this time. And, uh, yeah, I did it. I, I uh, used this passage of Scripture, and I asked the staff, have you heard that? And they said, oh, yeah, of course. They, everybody knows that. I said, what does the rest of the verse say? Right? The old Paul Harvey. What does the rest of it say? And I asked, you know, not one of the pastors could tell me what the rest of the verse said. They're no longer here. I'm kidding. I didn't. I'm kidding. That's, 
I preached it a long time ago. They all left because they're in other churches or, you know, not, I, I didn't fire them, <laughs> right? But what, what does the rest of that verse say? Now, you cheated because they just stuck it up there before the right time, but uh, it says, according to what? That's at work within us. So here's what it says in 320. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that's what? In us. At work. It's working power, not an, just an abiding power. It's a working power in us. So right now as you're sitting in this room, the power deposited in you is working in you. Isn't that good news? It's working in you. It's helping you understand even what we're saying right now, giving the capability to reveal some stuff to you right now. You know what's interesting about that? Is if you took out the immeasurably, out of that immeasurably more, it would say the exact same thing. Let's read it that way. Now to him who is able to do all we ask or imagine. All means all. If you took the adverbs out, the verse doesn't change. So who, who wrote this? We know Paul wrote it under the unction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him the words right, and when he wrote it, the Holy Spirit wanted immeasurably more or abundantly more. Why? Why? If it, if it doesn't change the meaning, if it says all, because, the, the, and this is incredible, because Yes, he's going to do it all, but he wants you to pray as though it's immeasurably more. Like, what he's saying is, is like God not only is going to do what you're asking, or even, like, he's going to do way more than you ever thought possible. Exceedingly, abundantly more. He could do all, but it's going to be like there's an attitude here. It's like, I want to. He's like, I, he's trying to tell us beyond what you could ask or even imagine. Have you prayed at times, and when you prayed, you said, God, this is what I need you to do, and I figured it out. All I need you to do is bless how I want you to answer this prayer, right? You're like, I know exactly how, you know, I need you to break them up. I need to break up my child who's dating this person. I need to break them up. And then I got a great guy over here. I want, you to, I want him to marry, Lord God. I've already found him. You don't need to do any work. I already got it all done, right? How many, when, when, and there's a certain level of faith that we pray with when we know what a path to what God can do to answer the situation is it. How many of you, like I know how God can do it and so my expectation is not that God will just do it, he's gonna do it the way I want him to do it. Right? And, and we've already kind of made a path for him to do it that way. And God says I'm gonna do way beyond anything you could ask or imagine, and I love it, because how many have been in those points where you've been in a situation and there are no open doors? There are no doors. Like you could not even imagine how this circumstance is going to change because you've mentally invested tons of time trying to figure out how you should ask God to do something. I think a lot of times we limit what God could do in our life by telling him how he should do it. 
Rather than saying, you know what, I could see a path, but I would much rather have God figure out a way. You know, the Israelites had a path when their back is up against the Red Sea and the, and the Egyptian army is coming. You know how I would have prayed? God, give me the ability to fight this army. Because I was nothing but a slave. But come and defeat the Egyptians, Lord. They weren't thinking about the Red Sea. But because God does immeasurably more than anything we could ask or imagine, now in the world today, we know we don't only serve a God that defeats the enemies that come against us. We serve a God that can split natural boundaries and provide a way out of things that we never thought possible. Because we serve that kind of God. You know, you know it's amazing, and I'm going to tell you something because I know you'll forget this in six months. But I've been, we're working on our campaign, small group campaign for next year already, right? And, um, and so, you know, when I do a, 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 met the, that campaign, we're going to be in Israel in April. We're filming all of it literally now for the fall. And so I have to have eight sessions ready. And when I'm going into it, it takes hours. It takes more time to do a small group video than it does a sermon on a Sunday morning. And because I'm looking, I'm grinding to try to find this revelation. And, and God dropped something in my heart that was just incredible. And, and it's, we're going to be standing on the altar of Dan where Jeroboam would have, the sin of Jeroboam, which was mentioned numerous times throughout the Old Testament, would have taken place. And uh, Jeroboam was not of the line of David, King David. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. God said Rehoboam is not going not to take the kingdom. And this is an incredible revelation that you'll forget about by the fall. <laughs> that you'll hear when you watch this in the fall. So forget it. The jury will strike that from the record after this message. Here it is. Do you know God promised Jeroboam the same promise he made to David? That's incredible to me. He said, you will not cease to have a king on the throne if you obey my commands, Jeroboam. It says you'll have an enduring kingdom. I thought that was incredible. He made the promise to King David, and then he made the same one to Jeroboam, and Jeroboam literally ignored it. And did the exact opposite. God, God is making us promises that he wants us to not even know about. He wants us to recognize that when he says, I put my power in you, that's a promise. It's living in you. Some of you need to sit there right now and realize this truth. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be someone who's been in the church 30 years. That the moment you invited Christ to come live in you, there was power deposited in you. And then when you get baptized in the Spirit, their power is resting on you. Like God literally has given, he's not sitting there going, you know what, I got to release power in this situation. It's already there. It's, it's living in you. Yeah, and, and an interesting thing about this verse, and I can't move on uh, any further because God is able to fulfill his promises in your life, your marriage, your job, your pursuits. But there's a word there, and it's an interesting word. And, and if you put the Ephesians if you could put that Ephesians 3.20 back up on the screen. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, comma, and then what's the next word? 
according. It, it, you will read right by it if you, don't, if you don't really study each of these words in the original language in which it was written. The word according actually means to distribute. To distribute. So it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, distributing to his power that, that is working, that literally that God can do, but we distribute the power. We're distributors of the power of God. We're distributors of the power of God. We go to the source and then we distribute it to the world. Like we're life to people around us. Like when they interact with us, they, they love spending time with the life because we have life in us. Just like people, in the, they would follow Jesus and he had words of life that brought life to their soul. But then when they would pray for sick people or physically, they would broadcast life. So we receive, we contain, and then we broadcast the power of God. See, God doesn't come and then put power in healing. God actually comes, resides in us. We contain it, and then we pray for people. We're distributing the power of God to the needs around us. You know, my dad, he was a pastor for the first four or five years of my life, and it was really tough for him in that setting. He had a few people that gave him a hard time, and, um, and so he didn't like it very much. So he decided to become an associate pastor with my grandfather, but at that time, uh, that was barely a volunteer job, okay? It costs you more money than anything else. And so he helped my grandfather in Waupon, Wisconsin. And we grew up in a little town called Marquesan, Wisconsin, and my dad became a distributor for Lando Lakes uh, ice cream. And there's no greater job for your dad to have <laughs> than be... And, and, and a Land Lakes distributor. How many know what I'm talking? Like their push-ups are the best, right? <laughs> and their fudge sickles and the ice cream. I mean, you had it all, right? And uh, my dad would bring home his ice cream truck, we called it. It was his truck. He had a little one and a big one, and he'd bring the little one home. And the little one was great because we could break into that one easily. And we had no idea of this thing called inventory. <laughs> so if dad was doing something, he didn't know we were in there. He'd never know we were taking an entire box of push-ups. And everybody in the neighborhood loved us, right? Because that's how we bought our friends, by giving them like ice cream. And, you know, and they all wanted to hang out with us, right? And our dad would just figure it out. And he'd say, God knows what you're up to. It wasn't God, it was inventory. <laughs> he always said, God, I know, because God told him. No, God didn't tell you. Your inventory told you and you knew it. No one else took it, right? But my dad would distribute it. He would go to the place, get all of it. And then they would, we, actually me and my brother would put it in the truck and then we'd go, and then we'd have to carry it in, and he'd put it in and, and stock it all. And then, then it was there. Like, literally, God's power is released inside of you. He can do immeasurably more than anything you ask or imagine distributing the power through me. 
so that I distribute it. So, so there's this process we go through. Uh, God's unlimited power flowing through us is capped by our lack of prayer or our limited prayers. A lot of times we limit what we pray because we, we want God to answer. We just don't believe. And here's the problem. There are so many people in this room right now, and unfortunately, you don't really believe that God's power is in you because you let your, like you, your, you're capped or limited by how you feel about yourself or how you think God views you. I said this in Richfield during, there was something that happened in worship service and God just really, and the, this word came in, this is hard for a lot of Christians. But you, you have to understand what worship means. Worship means ascribed worth. Ascribed worth. You can't actually worship God until he worships you. You can't worship him until he worships you. When Christ was on the cross, he, was, he, he raised his hands on the cross, not by choice, but he, his arms are up, and he's worshiping even the people who mocked him. What does that mean? He was ascribing worth to them. And they, seeing that, many of them that watched him worship them, began to then worship him back. And when we worship him back, he, he, and he ascribes more worth and worship to us, and then we worship him back with it. He gives us the reality of who he is, you know, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He said, it was a man that revealed that to you. It wasn't a song that revealed that to you. It wasn't a sermon that revealed that to you. It was God who revealed it to you when he ascribed worth to you. It was revealed to you who he was, and then you worshiped him with that back. You took the worth he put in you, and you worshiped it back to him. You just ascribed it right back. You are worthy of it all. Does this make sense? It's why our worship has to change. It's why isn't going to cut it when we're in glory. Because when we see Jesus, it says everybody will fall on their face and worship because they're going to, whoa, he's incredible. So what we must release is his power through prayer. So this is what we do. And we'll go through the hand motions. And it's kind of foolish hand motions, but that's what causes us to remember it, okay? So what do you do? You receive. You receive. Put your hands up. You receive, right? I receive the power of God. I contain the power. Hug yourself. Yeah, I contain it. And then do the sprinkler dance. I broadcast. So, so literally... I go before the Lord and I receive the power of God. I receive it. I'm in prayer. I'm just receiving it as I talk to him. I'm hearing his will. The power is already in me because I've received it, but he's now giving me his will. Then I contain it. I let it work in my life, but you don't have to keep it to yourself because there's an unlimited supply. Can I tell you something? My dad kept inventory, but God doesn't. He doesn't need to keep inventory because there's no limit to what he puts inside of us. He's just saying broadcast it. And some of us, th this happens, we're, we're, not, we're not excited about our walk with Christ. We're not excited about um, relationship with God. You know why that is? It's because we become a swamp of sorts. We, we don't broadcast. We just contain. 
And when you start to broadcast, then you become a river instead of a reservoir of God's power. You, you start, to, it's like a vacuum. You start just like it's a flow of God's power to the lives of people around us. You see it, in, in fact, an analogy of this is this river. In John 7, 37 to 39, says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not, get, had not been given. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified, literally, this is what's happening. Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave and it's going to be better that I'm gone. Because what you're going to get in return, what you're going to get when I leave is the power of God. The Spirit of God is going to come and He's going to rest on you. And that's going to be better. Now, let me ask you a question. Jesus, if you knew it was Jesus and the door is opened and Hosanna! You know, you hear the music, and Jesus walks in, and you know it's Jesus because he's wearing a white robe and a blue slash, sash, right? And it's Jesus. It's obvious. He's got the long hair, you know, and he's, you know, the very feminine. That, that's the, the picture everybody made. That, that's not Jesus, right? But you knew it was Jesus, and he comes walk down here, and Jesus walks down, and he stands in the altar, and he goes, come to me, all who are weary in him. How many know that you've not stepped foot in an altar in your entire life, but you're going to get to that altar because Jesus just came into the building and your faith just increased? Now, let's be honest. How many say if that happened, yeah, I'd be, I would definitely do that, right? Right? I would do that. Okay, only a few of you are listening right now because you're either lying, and I know you're not liars, or everyone in here would want to get up to Jesus because there's something about... And Jesus said that the power that is in you is greater than if Christ were standing in this altar right now. How many are saying there's, there's a gap between my belief in what Jesus can do, what the power in Jesus can do, between what the power I can do and the power I have? Jesus had the same power, but for some reason we think he can distribute it better than I can distribute it. And yet Jesus made the statement, greater things shall you do than I did. But there's this gap because we, we love to talk about what, we, but we don't really believe it. Distributing the prayer. We will pray for living water, but if we can't get living water, we settle for natural water. It, and, and it really is interesting because this feast Jesus is talking about, for seven days they would pray for living water. The living water was what came out of a rock. It was supernatural. It wasn't a flow. For seven days they'd pray for it, and if they didn't get living water, because Zechariah prophesied that living water would flow from Jerusalem, if it didn't come, then they would pray for rain, natural water to come on the eighth day of the feast, Right? Well, when Jesus makes this statement, it is the seventh day of the feast of living water. And he stands up and he says, hey guys, I'm the living water. If you thirst, come to me. Now how many say, oh, that's just so nice. So nice. What does it mean? I have no idea, but it sounds so nice. 
What it means is living water never ends. And when I taste of it, it completely changes me. That I am full of life. I'm no longer thirsty because he has, he has quenched my eternal thirst with that living water that is flowing in me. So now I have joy. Now I have peace. Now because I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm tired of struggling like I was, but now I have life. And everyone I touch, I, I release a flow of the... But some of us aren't releasing the living water. We're keeping it to ourselves. And God wants us to be a river. Daniel, if you look at Daniel, it's an interesting thing because Daniel prayed and he prayed and he prayed for three weeks. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and said, Daniel, God actually sent the response to your prayer the first day you prayed. But there is a spiritual battle going on and the king of Persia was holding us back and the prince of Persia was fighting to the point that I had to get Michael to come and fight with me to defeat the prince of Persia. Moses or Daniel never saw it. Nobody ever saw it. But Daniel was fighting that battle in prayer for three weeks. And eventually it got to him. And he said, you brought me here through your prayer. And I had to bring in Michael. We did war and we brought it here. Some prayers require some fighting. Some prayers are requests and some are spiritual warfare. And we begin to just pray. Every time we begin to pray, we declare that God's victory in that situation. I got to jump ahead a little bit here, and I'm going to tell you a story. So I'm going to talk real fast. 1.5 speed. Is that okay? So listen in 1.5 speed. <laughs> I've been able, unfortunately, because of Bethel's Rock, I've been able to go to some conferences and get to know some people. And there's a pastor down south that just telling us a story he was in a small group of pastors and his name was Clark Winton and he was telling us the story of the power of prayer. There's a woman in his church who married someone and she got saved after they were married. He didn't. He was a businessman. He traveled a lot. And on a business trip to Florida, he was killed in a car accident and uh, broke her heart, of course, um, about a month later, she gets a phone call. And there's a man on the other end of the, the phone, and he said, uh, could I speak to your husband and said his name? And she said, I'm sorry, sir, to inform you, but he died in Florida on a business trip in a car accident. And there was a long silence on the phone, and he said, ma'am, can you tell me what day it was when he died? And she told him, and he just paused again. It was almost uncomfortable silence. And he said, uh, did you talk to him that evening? She's like, no, normally we talked in the morning and the evening, but we didn't get a chance to talk that night. She goes, ma'am, I have good news. I'm a businessman. I wear a suit and tie every single day to work. That day was no different. I'm driving in my car, and the Lord very... Uh, strongly told me that I'm supposed to pull over and hitchhike. He goes, ma'am, I've never even considered that as a possibility. And now I'm supposed to hitchhike. There was no way I was doing it, but it was like something literally made me almost pull over and do this. So I pulled over I, at, at a gas station, parked the car. I walk out on the highway and I, 
in my suit and tie, put my thumb up, and the first person to pick me up was your husband. She said, you know, your husband gave his life to Christ that day. Told me he was going to tell you about it that night. The only problem was he never got to call her. He died only a few hours later. But that woman had prayed for her husband every single day from the time that she got saved. Stay the course. Because when you know God does immeasurably more, and to the point where God could have said he does all we ask or even imagine, but God wanted you to be assured that he does immeasurably more than anything you can. What he's saying is, is stay the course. Your prayers, literally, like in Revelation, it says your prayers are held in, I call it, heavenly Tupperware. Like all your prayers are kept in a bowl, Revelation says, and that God takes the fire from the altar, comes into agreement with your prayers, and then throws it back to earth. It's in your notes. Revelation, if you read it later, it's in your notes, where he says he, he literally responds in an answer to your prayer. There is another story, and I'm going to end on this story. In the orphanage in World War II, they had orphanages for the, for the children, where their parents had been, both parents had been killed and they had no one. And there were a bunch of children that were left over from World War I. Well, this man who was very frail, this man who was very frail had a, very, a daughter who was close to death herself. He's holding her hand and he walks up to the place where they're admitting children. And he says, I need to admit my children. And they asked, is this your daughter? And he said, yes said, sorry, sir, as much as we'd like to help you, we can't. They have to be children with no parents. And he said, well, she'll die if you don't take her. I can't support her. I have nothing. There's nothing I can do. Look at me. And she said, I'm sorry, sir. We cannot take children who have living parents. He said, well, will you go get someone and bring them? And, and the person who was managing the facility came and basically told them the same thing, sir. As long as you're living, there is no way we can take your daughter. And he said, so you're telling me if I did not exist, if I wasn't living. This is a true story. You would take my daughter. He said, yes, sir. That's the only way we could take your daughter. He took a few seconds. He looked down as his... I've already told this story a few times. He looked at his little daughter, hugged her gave her a kiss, took her hand, and put it in the hand of the person and said, it will be taken care of. He then went and hung himself. Because of his love for that little girl, do you really think God doesn't want to answer your prayer? Do you really think God's trying to hide from you things? Do you really think the God that would put his son on a cross to rescue you is trying to figure out ways to keep you from experiencing the power of prayer in your life? 
Do you really believe that lie? Because if you do, if your God is saying you got to work to try to figure this out, you got to behave better, you got to try better, you got to, you got, then you're not, then you're not really worshiping and praying to the same God of the Bible. Because the thing Jesus did on the cross was remove every barrier. And the Bible says he created a new and living way to ask, access God. That when you pray, you're not praying to an evil judge. You're trying to manipulate or somehow get it beat into submission because you won't stop by. But you're, you're talking to a God that just loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He would do anything for you. In fact, he did. That's why we pray. That's why we stay the course. Because the power of that God doesn't need to be released anymore to us. It's already been put in me. But I've been keeping it to myself. And the world looks at God as the stingy God because the church has refused to broadcast it. We said, no, I'm keeping it for myself. You don't deserve it anyway. Look at how you're acting. And God says, listen, if the world's going to know my love, they're going to have to know it through you. Because he decided in his economy of the kingdom of God, God always partners with us. He's needing a partner, someone to stand in the gap. Someone to say, yeah, God, give me the supernatural power of the kingdom of God inside of me, and then I'll broadcast. I'll be a distributor. I'll be a distributor. We bow your head. Well, let me have you stand, Pastor Zach. I don't know about you. But I know as I'm going through this series, it's changing me. And it will change you if you'll just open up and say, God, come in and judge the attitudes of my heart. Judge the lies of my heart that have literally impacted the way I pray. 